history is the hard-fought road from ambition to victory. It molds warriors into kings and heralds the rise of empires. Hello and welcome back to the ASAP Weekly Age of Empires podcast. I'm your host, uh, I, I I realized that with my guests, I haven't actually went over whether we're going to use real names or not, uh, although so far we've just been using first names, so I hope that's okay. Uh, but I am Robert, uh, and I'm joined uh, today by Matt. Matt, would you like to say hello? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Matt, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here. Thank you, Robert, for, for inviting me. I, I love that answer right away. I already know uh, you'd be great on a talk show. So um, <laughs> what I'd like to, uh, I guess say right off the bat if um maybe maybe some kind of housekeeping things before we get into aoe4 which i wanted to talk about i think this is the first episode we've actually talked about age of empires 4 uh there's like a whole fan uh preview and stuff and uh you know once you know it uh, i'm bringing on uh probably the person who if not introduced me to age of empires at least has you know i think you have some big part uh in in kind of uh you know Bring me into the world of RTS games in, in one way or another, I guess. Uh, I'm sure we can talk about it in a second. Let me do some housekeeping. Uh, first of all, um, if you are uh, interested in any of the things we talk about, I'll have the links to the YouTube video that kind of goes over all these previews so you can get a visual uh, representation about Age of Empires 4. And as well, um, if you want to see if there's updates or you know <coughs> shows being uh, postponed uh, or, or being released at a later date, uh, you can join our Discord. That'll also be in the link below. Okay, Matt. Uh, I talked a little bit, you know, a little one-minute ramble here, but I'm sure... Um, I mean, may, to be fair, I don't know if our listeners uh, want to know about you, but I want to know uh, more about you. So if you can, could you please introduce maybe uh, when you started playing Age of Empires uh, and your familiarity with the RTS genre in general? Sure, uh, no problem. So... Um... I've been playing Age of Empires 2. My first exposure to Age of Empires 2 was sometime in the early 2000s. Um, I was a sort of middle school middle school kid. Um, and uh, it's a game that I immediately sort of fell in love with. I've always loved kind of the medieval era. And, and it was the first sort of game I, I got into was Age of Empires 2 back in the day and, and the Conqueror's expansion. Um, and, uh, I just like to say, Robert, that, uh, regarding getting you into RTS <laughs> games, I would say that, uh, you've certainly played a role in, in, in my getting into RTS as well, because, uh, it's, it's, uh, because of you that I got into StarCraft 2. I remember you were talking about StarCraft 2 Wings of Liberty this was back in like 2010. And, uh, I got really intrigued and I started watching videos and I thought, Hey, this looks really cool. And um, and that was sort of my first uh, foray into taking um, taking RTS games seriously. So, uh, anyways, it's uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for for inviting me, and uh, I'm super excited to talk about Age of Empires Four because I think it's been a long time coming. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we'll see how it goes, Matt. But maybe we'll have you on again. Who knows? Um... <laughs> well, I'd be happy. I'll be happy to be back on. Uh, I'd like to say right away as well, uh, for anyone who uh, is a fan of our most earliest AoE uh, episodes, AoE 1 episodes, 
this Matt is in fact friends with the other Matt. So if you had a you know conspiracy theory that all Matts are friends, well, uh, here is some uh, anecdotal evidence for that confirmed case. You heard it. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, another thing I'd like to make uh, say, I guess, about I, I remember distinctly introducing you to StarCraft. And there was like, I think there was this particular tournament, which I thought was like the greatest tournament ever. And I was like, showed you this awesome match that I really liked. I only learned um, several years later that that match was actually rigged. <laughs> um, really? It wasn't what? rigged. It was okay. It was rigged in the sense that both the players were on the same team. Both the players that made the finals were two of the best players that were uh, around at the time. And they both made the finals and they're both on the same team. Uh, okay. So uh, essentially, and this was one of the big scandals, is uh, I think someone had said that they must have bet some money, and there's a the big, big scandal about this, uh, one of the players, um, because they agreed, or sorry, it might not have even been that, it might have been that they've chosen who was going to win or lose, but they were just like doing the dumbest strats because of the fact that they've already agreed to split the plot after, because they were on the same Wow, I, I didn't even know that. But That's it was crazy. also one of the craziest games because there's like nukes flying. Like, you know what I mean? It was essentially like two of the best players at the game were like, okay, let's make the most entertaining show. So yeah. I was not disappointed, but it was a great match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, certainly scandalous. But I mean, if you if you get some good games out of it, cool matches with, with things like nukes, things that you, you don't really see, then, you know, is it really all that bad? I mean, especially for a casual player, right? Casual players, you you want to see you want to see that those things that draw you in. Um, and I guess speaking of casual players and being drawn in, I think we can uh, venture now into our main topic of discussion, which is Age of Empires Four. Now, yes. Age of Empires Four. Um, what I want to get from you is your first reaction. All right, uh, I think you saw some of the footage. You saw some um, of the of the graphics. All right, some of I guess what they're showing us the gameplay. We don't really know exactly how the gameplay is going to feel, um, but yeah, what's what's the first thing? The first look. What's your first gut reaction to that? Um, I would say the first, my first reaction was uh, surprise and delight <laughs> that the okay. game uh, that the game is uh, you know is actually planned and it's actually under development. Um, <laughs> I remember. Yes, <laughs> I remember. As a, as a teenager, I used to sort of think about, because then I got into Age of Empires 3, and then I, I sort of started fantasizing about what Age of Empires 4 might be like. So I thought, uh, it, in my mind, it was always going to be sort of post-Industrial Revolution, ending sometime around World War One, maybe. And I was uh, very delighted to see that they're going back to the Middle Ages. I think um, I think that's a good thing, because... You know, of course, more modern warfare. You have it sort of looks a lot, a lot different. And I think Age of Empires two does the, um, does the medieval warfare um, style sort of really well. So I'm really glad that they they went back to the Middle Ages. Uh, I got I gotta say two things uh, for this right away. So um, and then then I'll let you continue on with your your first reactions here. Uh, first thing is I think it has been confirmed that it is being released in autumn or, or fall. Uh, so we don't know exactly the date, but um, yep. Q Q end of Q three, beginning of Q four, as as the business people may say. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, that that is exciting that there's actually a release date. Uh, the second thing I want to mention um, was that this is also coincidentally 
coincidentally being made by Relic. And I believe Relic, mm-hmm. is that not the uh, the creators of another certain RTS that may have been based in World War One, World War Two? Am I am I completely that's, that's off base right. on that? That's right. Relic made uh, Company of Heroes 1 and 2. Yes. Uh, okay. Relic also made... Uh, the Dawn of War series. So if, if there are any Warhammer 40k fans out there. And apparently uh, Homeworld 2 as well. I've I'm I'm not familiar with that one. It okay, so if if I remember correctly, I think I've played some of the Homeworld games. It's like um so take every idea you know about RTS. And this is also going entirely on top of my memory, and this could be another RTS game. I'm, I'm uh, confusing with this, so don't take this too literally. But what I remember is take RTS and stretch it out to last about a day uh, and take all the micro out of it, and you're just kind of making slow, big decisions. Okay. <laughs> big general. It's like, it's like just, just make it a lot longer so there's no stretch. It's not turn-based, okay? Like, don't get me wrong. It's not turn-based. Uh, but, um, you, uh, yeah, you're going to slowly send your miners out and they might come back in a year, you know? Okay. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that sort of appeals to a different, a different crowd. You know, there, there are different sort of pacings in these kinds of games. Like Starcraft two, we talked about earlier is very fast paced. You start, you know, very quickly, um, with, with military units very early on something like age of empires is, is more. Uh, it's more sort of slow going, you know, you might spend 15, 20 minutes in the dark age before you make any military, for example. So, yeah. And I think we'll talk about in, the, in uh, maybe at the end of the show, we can talk about a little bit about design principles when it comes to RTS games. Cause I, I have some things to say uh, about like what potentially the game could be like, uh, but we'll get into that in a second. So yeah, uh, more first reactions. So you said that you like that they're going back to the medieval times. I think that's a very good point considering they, uh, when you look at it, um, I don't think AOE three was a success. Well, I think it, yeah, I don't think AOE three was a success, and I think their biggest, I guess, player base right now is in AOE two. So trying to appeal to that player base, I think, is a good idea. Yeah, I think it's a smart business move for for exactly the the reasons you said. Yeah, Age of Empires three, sort of a a swing and a miss. I think. I mean, I really liked the game, but I think the wider fan base sort of didn't react as well as age of empires 2 and age of empires 2 is still the the most popular uh, of the franchise so yeah i'm glad to see that they're going back to the middle ages Um, really excited about that Uh, the graphics i was pretty blown away uh, with how the graphics look Um, you know you have you have trees that that block (laughs) line of sight you have sort of mountains you even have things like um, you see the shadow of clouds on the ground and, and the clouds are moving and there's like sunlight coming down. It just looks really, really nice and really clean. And the the interface from the gameplay, we have the little mini map on the bottom right and then you have your resources and population on the bottom left. Oh, the UI is clean. Yeah, it it's very slick. It's really nice. Yeah, I really like that, yeah. Um, I also... Uh, and I, I think the last thing I would say for first reactions is the asymmetry of the game. Mm. Um, uh, I know you and I have talked about this before, how Age of Empires 2 is essentially it's a lot of the same civilizations. It's the same civilization sort of copied over and over. Um, 
with with some unique units, unique techs, and then you you mess around with the tech tree a little bit, so not everything. Which is which available once again, I don't think it's necessarily the wrong design principle because yeah. learning thirty two unique civilizations might be worse. <laughs> yeah, thirty nine now I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think since Lord of the West, Lords of the West, it's thirty nine civs, so it's yeah, it it would be crazy if they were all absolutely unique. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that. I think it's a fresh uh, sort of approach, the asymmetry of it. It makes sense. You know, not every culture, you know, developed, uh, you know, developed crossbows or, or you know, had men at arms or, or, or things like that, you know, so. Actually, now that you mention it, okay, I just, I just realized something like having... Does the Japanese civilization in AoE 2 have men at arms? Yes, they do. Of course they do. Okay, because everyone does. It it it's kind of wild if you think about it, right? Like in some ways I feel like the base unit could be um I guess I guess general infantry would still would still count, but the fact that it looks exactly the same like a European, you know what I mean? Like... Exactly. The, skin, <laughs> the skins of the units are the same. Yeah, so I mean that sort of ruins the immersion maybe for some people. I mean, I don't mind it too much, but I, I but, really like the appeal of unique skins and asymmetrical civilization design and, and architecture. Well, we've had different architectures um, since the, the early days of Age of Empires 2, but um, I really like that it sort of really diverges and makes it asymmetry. Asymm I mean, asymmetry. We'll, we'll see, actually, when once we actually get to the game, how, how different they will be. But they're saying they're yeah. asymm asymmetric. I mean, from yeah, from what we've seen uh, from, from gameplay videos and, and uh, screen captures, they look, they look very distinct, which I like. Um, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Any, any other things that you, you feel kind of in, in this, uh, your first reactions uh, to the game? Um, I know we have some specific topics, so I don't want to delve into those quite yet. Um, for or maybe bounce off this, all right, Matt. Uh, the the one thing that I noticed right away is the units are a lot blockier. Um, they're a little rounder, uh, and I think in general in RTS this is a good thing. All right, the ability to click your unit or to easily more easily group your units. Um, because they're a little rounder, they're a little bigger on the screen, I don't think is a bad thing. AoE 2 is, some of the unit models are thin. They are really thin. You have to really precise mouse music, uh, movements, and, you know, that could, yeah. people could say, like, oh, like, you know, just get better and all that stuff. But I think, it, remember, I a lot of people have to realize that if you want games to succeed and last for a longer time, you have to have things that are quality of life changes for casual players right the top level yeah. should not be easier but that bottom accessibility beginning accessibility level should feel very welcoming to new players yeah i completely agree um yeah the the units are they are blocky they are kind of almost cartoony cartoonish looking um this is a, a trend that I've noticed that has maybe sort of been popular in the last few years. Um, like Age of Empires, uh, sorry, not Age of Empires, Civilization VI, the game Civilization mm -hmm. VI, um, compared to Civ V, for example, uh, looks a lot more cartoony. Uh, Dawn of War Three compared to Dawn of War One and Two looks a lot more cartoony. 
Um, personally, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of the mm-hmm. look. Mm-hmm. I don't like the look too much. Also, um, some of the the arrows that you see archers firing uh, during the the gameplay reveals for Age of Empires Four, um, the arrows are quite large. So yeah, I mean, I, I understand. I, I totally understand why they do it. Uh, I understand that you know you have to be able to see your units on screen and select them, and and there shouldn't be any confusion there. I'd also um, argue that that this is also an attempt to get a younger audience interested. That's true um, too. Because yeah. I think I think a younger audience might be interested in medieval things, but if I think if you are below the age of, or like let's just say around age fourteen, fifteen. You might think like some of these units are cool and they're going to battle and stuff, but if it's really kind of harsh edges, um, I think it's not going to be as wide as of an appeal. If that makes sense, like artistically, yeah. I, I I get what you mean that like for you, you're like, no, I want it to be a little more realistic uh, and not so childlike is maybe the word I'm trying to say. But yeah. visually and from like a, a um, I guess a pretty perspective, I think it's really good. You know what I mean? Like it, it looks a lot. Mm-hmm. more pleasant to look at if that makes sense right like some people might not like yeah. that but i think i think in general if you're trying to attract people and they see these very nice looking bright things um kind of bright maps as well i think that's another thing yeah uh, rts sometimes has really dark maps and then people are just like okay well i don't want to look at like dark colors the whole time uh so from that perspective i think i anyway th- I, I i disagree with you in the sense that i don't mind it and i think that it does help make it a lot brighter, make it a lot happier, which is not a bad thing for yeah. bringing in new people. Yeah, yeah. I t- and I totally get what you're saying, and, and I understand why they do it, and it, it it's probably the good decision, I think. It's just for me personally, you know, I don't... You know, I could do with a, something a little more realistic looking. That being said, um, you know, it, it looks... The game looks great. That's really like the, the, the tiniest... The tiniest criticism I have from what I've seen so far is exactly that. And even then, I understand why they do it. So that's really not an issue for me. It's it's a game that I'll be looking to pick up. I think uh, this fall. Um. Yeah. I think I think both of our uh, both of us are going to pick the game up no matter what. Uh. I will say one thing that we like. There's still a bunch of unknowns. Um. But maybe while we're here, before we go on to the campaign, which I would like to talk about a little bit more in a second, uh, there is something that a lot of RTS developers have kind of talked about is one of the troubles of RTS is putting yourself in the in the game. And what I mean by that is a lot of games that are popular have these main characters or these main people that you either customize or you have the character that you really enjoy to play, right? We're talking MOBAs and like you know games like Fortnite, whatever, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um and a lot of, there's a lot of success market-wise when it comes to having a character that the player can identify with or the player can see themselves in, right? Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, that totally makes sense. And the problem is you don't really want to do hero characters, right? I don't think we've seen anything that's like hero characters um, because as soon as you do hero characters, then your whole game is based around those heroes. And so mm-hmm. instead of having a whole bunch of skirmishes and a lot more free will it's just like who who can protect their hero more or you know what i mean like either the hero is too powerful and everything rolls around it or you have a hero character that doesn't really make a difference in the game uh so that's a big kind of struggle um and i know aoe3 had those kind of like explorers or whatever 
mm-hmm. uh, characters um, that had a multi-purpose because they could build some things as well. Um, but yeah, do you think? Do you think? Maybe we're just we're just guessing here. Do you think they'll have these kind of hero characters, or do you think it's going to be very much AOE two mirrored? Um, I, honestly, I think it's. I think it, there's going to be sort of a mix. So, um, I forget which uh, which reveal this was, but it was uh, mm-hmm. the Mongol Khan. Okay. Uh, it was a Khan unit that they showed in one of their videos, and. Uh, I remember pausing the video and I just sort of had a look at the the unit card at the bottom of the screen when he was selected. Uh, there's some sort of keywords for units as, as you select them. So his included like uh, light cavalry, comma, enhancer or something like this. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's going to be some kind of general unit, maybe not for all factions, but uh, and and this might be campaign footage too. I mean, we we have no idea if this is sort of a if you can build a, a Mongol Khan in a in a regular skirmish game. But uh, we've seen I've seen that in one of the videos. I know that. Um, but regarding what you what you, you're saying about um, you know putting hero units in in your game, I think yes. I mean, certainly you know we human beings like to identify with with uh, characters a limited cast of characters if you will mm-hmm. um you know books many books have you know a few characters that that you really identify with um and it, this i think it's sort of it's almost like biological where, where we we like to sort of emotionally connect with individuals rather than big groups for example and yeah like you said you know rts is you're sort of a a commanding entity that's sort of outside of the game and you're seeing the whole battlefield oh. from your perspective and and uh and you're issuing sort of orders to units and it's not very personal mm-hmm. um and you know i personally like that but i understand why you would want to include hero units as well the explorer thing in age three uh i'm kind of iffy about i'm not a huge fan to be honest yeah i i wasn't particularly a fan but i understand why they would like those are things where like if it's the campaign i'm all for it but as soon as you as soon as you want to include in skirmish it just adds a dimension that kind of ruins i mean the the jet like like it's it's kind of getting people that don't play rts's into rts's is, is hard enough as it is right uh so yeah i'm sure that's something yeah, I mean, it's really a distinct genre, and you know, some people are really into MOBAs. Some people are really into first-person shooters. You know, you you, you sort of have to, I guess, as a de- game developer, you, you want to make your game as accessible to a wide audience. I can see why they would include hero units. Um, I don't know. I you know, it's it's not a huge deal. You know, if there is, if Age of Empires Four ends up having some kind of general. Uh, unit that that enhances nearby troops or or can issue orders of some kind or whatever uh, i think that's cool as long as it doesn't really <laughs> make it all about them you know what i mean they ne- they need just like a guy in the town center <laughs> yeah just like yelling at people <laughs> yeah and, like you have it's your perspective you're the guy in the town center and you can like look around <laughs> you can click on him and he, and he says some funny voice lines you know 
You can cus- you can customize the voice lines he says if you click on your town center. Yeah, that's right. And actually regarding customization, you know, there's there are things like I think people really like customization, like mm-hmm. gamers. Um and having some of that is 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 also interesting. Uh like Age of Empires 2 uh definitive edition has uh has uh, like events every month or so, I think where yeah. you can get rewards, things like cosmetics. Uh, a lot of games have cosmetics that you can unlock, and, and that's something that keeps players engaged as well. And, and kind of uh, going I, back to the new block your art style, I think cosmetics do a lot better with it. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that uh, with cosmetics, I sort of see that as the flip side of, or maybe this, the other side of the character units coin. Like it's something that draws you in keeps you engaged makes you connect makes you connect with your with your civilization you know if if you've unlocked that cosmetic uh it's sort of it feels more personal you know yeah i agree i agree um okay i think we can now maybe move on to the norman campaign our first reactions to the norman sure. campaign the year is 1066 harold king of the anglo-saxons rules england but his crown has been promised to another contender, Duke William of Normandy. While Harold fends off Viking raiders in the north, William crosses the English Channel, intent on seizing the throne. The two rivals would clash at the Battle of Hastings. But one battle does not win a war. And power, once grasped, can be easily lost. In the north, the peasantry rebels against a king they do not recognize. Northern barons ally with Viking invaders and seize the city of York. William must act quickly to secure his control. And his descendants will fight over the crown for decades to come. In a bloody contest on both sides of the channel, Normandy is besieged. Civil war erupts. And would-be kings wrestle for control of both England and France. Which uh, they announced. Um, things to keep in mind, I guess. Uh, they have a, they, It seems like they have a lot of kind of extra footage that isn't just gameplay. Uh, for the campaign i don't know if it's as far as cutscenes. i don't know if they've revealed all too much of that um but it i am way more excited for this campaign than i was for the aoe 2 like lords of the west campaign all right because yeah. I, as much as i like uh you know just the just the good old uh reading a story and narrator uh intro i think the campaign needs this kind of cinematic type um part to it right even if it's just sweeping camera angles of like armies and stuff uh before you go into the mission i think it helps a lot to kind of put you into that uh that mindset of like oh i'm actually part of this and not just uh all right do something that's similar to your general skirmish which which i hate in rts campaigns when it just becomes a general skirmish because then yeah uh so it looks like they have more 
they'll have nice cinematics and hopefully those graphics that we saw in the trailer for it will also be included in the actual uh campaign yeah absolutely i think my understanding at least is that all that footage from the norman campaign reveal uh is from the actual campaign itself so i think that's sort of the kind of thing we'll see um like there's a there's a, a silhouette of a of a man sort of drawing a sword um there's uh what looks like a, a blacksmith who's who's working a piece of iron you can see, there's like a zoom in of of the the hammer hitting hitting the the piece of iron um and it, it, you know it it sort of sounds like I it's mean, going to be more I hope the whole campaign's like that cuz yeah I love I, that stuff <laughs> yeah I I totally agree I think that would be that would be fantastic there's also um there's also like uh, Duke William, William the Conqueror, and then you see uh, it's sort of like a family tree. So there's a picture of Duke William, and then three sort of lines that grow out of it. And you have like his three sons, and uh, there's a short blurb that like two of the sons are fighting for uh, the, the crown after Duke William dies. So there, there's there's going to be things like family trees and and. Uh, sweeping cinematic shots and and things like cutscenes, which uh, I'm totally down for. That's that's super exciting. Yeah, I, I I've mentioned this before because I think on our, our podcast I, I I was kind of playing through the Lords of the West campaign, and that's to me what was missing. Right? What makes? I mean, yeah. it's hard to campaign compare this to StarCraft, especially StarCraft Two, where like you're talking <laughs> when you get these cinematics, you're talking like yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's high class and it's very, it's plays like a movie, you know, you, you feel when you're playing these campaigns or these campaign missions and then you have cutscenes in between, you feel like you're, you're in, in some kind of movie, like you're really in the story, I think. And so like, I don't need necessarily that, but I need something approximating that, right? Um, yeah. So whether it's even like real, even real actors doing those kind of like silhouette shots, I think adds yeah. a great deal to make, to get that feel for it. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm I'm super excited for that. Like I said, um, looks looks really really great. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll say about the campaign, um, if if you will allow me, uh, one thing I I really disliked about Age of Empires three is the campaigns. Uh, I don't like that it followed one family line from generation to generation. Um, it really felt sort of limited in scope. Like I'm following the story of like one guy, one person. And then, you know, I'm playing these missions and, and the missions are, are fun, but you know, that then the, the next chapter of the campaign, I'm, I'm playing as that person's, you know, kid, son, for example, or, or nephew or whatever. And I didn't really like that. The scope felt very limited uh, and it's, I, I like to feel that I'm, when I'm playing a campaign, I like to feel that I'm shaping, uh, that my decisions are shaping the course of a wider history or a wider narrative. So, um, something I mean, on mm-hmm. a bigger scale that feels sort of like on a bigger scale is something that, uh, is something that I want to see from age four. Um, so you know following the family tree and stuff like that sort of gave me a bit of a a pause 
Uh, I'm a little bit scared that it might go too <laughs> far down the age three uh, sort of style. Um, it's not it's not a real fear. I, I'm just kind of saying that. Um, but th that's something I don't want to see more of is, is this really limited sort of focus. I mean, this is the tough thing when you're using history as the basis for your campaign. It's good because it gives you a lot of things to talk about. Um, but I don't think you could kind of have like this intertwining at the same time. A lot of stuff is happening and it builds to a certain thing type story, right? Um, because yeah. I think history, there are times where it intertwines, but there are times where they're just separate events happening at the same time, right? Um, and yeah. I, I think, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, like if I were to make a historical campaign that, that really felt like all the campaigns connected and there's kind of like this lying thread and you can make a story is if I had different campaigns that all there's like, let's just say there's at some point, you know, three or four different countries that, uh, at some point break out into a war, right. And all your campaigns that you have is they are stuff that each of these individual people are doing before the war. And then your last campaign is kind of like a mixed bag of like different missions, different battles, and mm -hmm. you'll take on whoever was the winner of that battle or something like that. You know what I mean? That would be great. That would be a really good way to intertwine story and keep it historical. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah. because, because you're doing historically based uh, campaigns, um, it's a hard time kind of just being strictly, you know, invent your story, right? Uh, that's another thing AOE 3, yeah. I did believe, where they, they kind of made up a lot of the story. Uh, yeah. Or there, there were fictional elements, at least, or, or I don't know. They are. <laughs> yeah, the, the history, I think, in, in Age 3 is very, very loose. <laughs> um. so, so my point being, like, it's... It's tough because I think with, with a game like Age of Empires, you kind of need to go the history route and be as accurate as possible. Absolutely. Uh, and and it it is it is a is both a hindrance and a crutch. <laughs> uh so yeah. it's a hindrance uh because of the fact that you feel like uh you know, you can't really tell your own stories, you can't have these intertwining narratives. Um, but it is a crutch or it's nice, it kind of supports you in the sense that uh, you have a lot to choose from and you don't really have to make a story from scratch. So uh, there are yeah. those kind of two sides to that coin. Yeah, I totally agree. I think also because history, you know, obviously happened in the past, it's history. Um, the outcome is is set. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. if you know the history of the particular time period where you're playing the, that you're playing the campaign for, like, you know, what's going to happen. And that's that. That is a, a hindrance, like you said. And I think um, developing like a historical game like this or historical RTS is about finding the right balance, um, making the player feel like his choices are affecting things in history that are shaping history. But you also want to stay um, stay true to what actually happened. Um, at least, you know, at least for me, that that's very important. I, 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 I myself like history and, and, uh, I like, I like things to, to be historically accurate. Um, anyways, I think it's a, it's about a balance, finding the, the right balance there. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, okay, here, here's, here's a take. I just, you made me think of this now that we're talking about history. 
Um, have you ever heard of uh, the Ninth Spanish Legion, the Ninth Spanish Roman Legion? Uh, it rings a bell, but uh, go on. Okay. So this is a legion uh, uh, that essentially was stationed in England, right, in Britain, um, following the Roman invasion of, of Britain, right? Um, but all the legion disappears and all records um, after 120 AD uh, are gone. And there's no exact account of what happened to it. Okay. Which prompts some of the most interesting, like I've read more than what I think I've read three or four historical fiction, fiction books that essentially then go and take this story where there is no, you know, recorded history and there's a couple theories and they take some of those theories and then create you know take one of the characters from there and create this historical fiction narrative like a like a novel okay based on this um ninth legion and Mm -hmm. the reason they can kind of get away with it maybe not get away with it or the reason they can do history really well in this particular case is because it's like well there's no records so yeah you're you're going a bunch of historical um you're going off a bunch of historical theories um, but they're all based from, you know, guesses essentially. So uh, you have the luxury to then literally, you know, let's just say you can, in that context, you can create, you know, some Roman living in England, give them a name, right? You know, or maybe there is a name somewhere in the books of, of you know, a Roman that might have been living at the time and create a completely fictional backstory to them and not feel like you're being dishonest to the history, right? Because the records are gone. Yeah. Uh, and so I think this kind of historical fiction works really well. Uh where there are little to no records of a certain thing that happened. And so that's why you have uh this this big like um yeah, this big uh you know, sorry, all these people writing historical fiction on this. But I think if you're going to do a story where you can actually create your own story and create an interesting narrative, use something like this, right? And introduce the story as um, you know, long time ago there was this legion that disappeared right mm-hmm. um and like you know and you can have this historical fiction that isn't like fraud right that is does isn't forced to stick to history because there isn't any information about it okay yeah yeah i i really like that that's really interesting um and I, yeah i mean i totally agree if if historical records are are missing but we have some sort of fragmented some fragmented records for example up to a certain point um and we know the historical context around that um then yeah you know i'm totally fine with sort of historical fiction in that sense where you can uh really sort of run wild with theories with, yeah, yeah what could and stories have and and love yeah. stories and betrayals yeah. and you know what i mean like you can just go wild yeah. and uh, and I mean, it you... does yeah 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 sorry like yeah you can totally go crazy and and indulge sort of your your fantasies you know as long as it's not sort of outrageous as long as it makes sense for the historical context or the the culture or what have you um yeah i think that's uh, i agree that's that's a great uh a great way of um of finding that balance yeah instead of instead of aoe3 which i think was Okay, we have a lot of historical records about the time period, and let's just insert this family that didn't exist, which I believe is what they did. Or yeah. maybe it's loosely based off of a family that did exist, but then 
I don't yeah, know. I didn't I'm... finish the campaign. I just heard some people tell me what happened at the end of it. I'm like, the, this is like as historically accurate as Pirates of the Caribbean at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's very like it's sort of set in the time period, but they take huge liberties. Like a great example, I think the last mission of the first act of uh, Age Three campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, you go to the Fountain of Youth in in Florida, and and um, you're fighting. Uh, you know, you you're playing as uh, as uh, Knights of Saint John, I think, like a Knight Order, a Crusader Order from Malta, and you sail to the New World. Uh, go to the Fountain of Youth, and you're fighting like a uh, like an underground, like an Illuminati kind of organization. I mean, I I just thought, no, come on, like you you could have you could have made something something better. So you know, you know what's funny? I think as if you if you, even this, okay, if you're gonna go crazy, just let me know up front. All right, I think that's maybe my yeah. biggest dissolution with AOE three is that I th- I believe you've actually told me about this before. And when I went to play it and I'm like, it seems like a really realistic historical campaign. I don't like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, if you preemptively literally in the first, like you have a full cutscene, maybe around five minutes and you're kind of displaying the backstory of like big events that are happening in the world. And then you're like, the following is a work of historical fiction. Um, while the time and the place and the context of what was ha- uh, of, of the different characters you may meet uh, in the story resemble real characters, they're not necessarily authentic representations of them, nor is the story of the main. Something like that, right? I actually, yeah. I would be okay because then I'm warned and I'm not, you know, I, I think one thing that could disillusion you is like, it's almost like if you uh, if you started a story and it's very much like a really realistic story, you're reading a book, all right? And then like, you know, 300 or 400 pages in, like with 100 pages left, all of a sudden the like magic is introduced to the system, right? With no warning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know? that, <laughs> that would certainly be very jarring and it would really kill the immersion sort of immediately. And yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think letting the, the player know up front that, you know, hey, don't take this too seriously. This isn't. This is loosely based on history, but these things didn't actually happen. You know, whether that's text. Although I don't know, I'm I'm not. I don't think players should be reading too much text. I think it should be sort of more of a narration, maybe for a campaign. But you should let. Oh, you should be reading. No, it should be as much narration and, and voice acting and yeah, yeah. scenes as possible. Yeah, I, agree. I think we're like, agree with that. Yeah. You know, whether they do it, whether they can afford to do it, given, you know, that, you know, I, I don't, like, I'm sure they have a good budget, but I don't, like, I'm not expecting StarCraft quality cutscenes, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, no, of that, course, I mean. You have to be realistic with, you know, the the expectations of who's going to buy these games and stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely, and and StarCraft is, I think, on a, on another on another level with, with their cutscenes, but, you know, from, from the little clips here and there i think it you know it's up there it's certainly an improvement over previous uh, iterations of uh, age of empires so i'm i'm excited for that i agree i agree okay maybe we can now move on from the campaign sure sure yeah. uh uh let's take a look at i mean very very quickly because we only really had a minute what was your first reaction then with to the uh delhi sultanate 
what did you uh what did you feel about that uh so the delhi sultanate um uh okay a couple a couple things i i like um and this is in keeping with uh with age of empires the age of empires series in general i i like that they're going um they're really going wide with their scope um mm-hmm. like there are th- there are three asian civs that we know of so far of the four that have been revealed three of them are asian and one of them is european so First of all, I, I like that uh, there's a huge range of cultures, which explains sort of the varying uh, the varying play styles. So the Delhi Sultanate um, seems to be uh, a sort of technologically advanced defensive civilization that sort of turtles up and techs into their most, most powerful units, which include war elephants. Um, and then you sort of move out and you you crush your your opponent. Um, in the in the video itself, you have uh, the the war elephants, which look great, by the way. Um, they sort mm-hmm. of have uh, what looks like armored plating on their face, and a couple guys riding on top. And uh, I don't know if if the if if uh, they're actually going to be able to take as much punishment as many arrows as uh, as they do in in the video um but uh, those things were really really tough we don't you know those things are taking damage the whole time and we i don't think we ever see one of them uh collapsing so you know they're they sound like they're they're hugely armored tons of hit points like a living battering ram that just smashes through the gate and then into the into the castle the, the english castle um, we had some some footage of what looks like priests or some kind of support unit uh, with little uh, with little icons that showed that maybe it's healing units. So um, also in the in the text of the when they revealed the civilization, there, there's uh, they sort of describe it in, in text. It talks about technologically advanced and how their technologies don't cost resources. So I'm really interested in seeing what that looks like um i mean yeah free, no it, it free technologies it looks great. sounds uh mm-hmm. sounds pretty powerful i think <laughs> I, I mean i think that will be interesting right is actually balancing around resources or changing the game depending on the resources as mm-hmm. opposed to you know aoe2 uh at some point gold rules all right um yeah most civs. uh so so balancing where different civs might have different priorities for resources um mm-hmm. i think that will be a really big thing uh for this yeah but it looks i mean yeah. once again this is why i like the artwork because even though it's kind of you know a little more blocky cartoony you know some of these buildings just look really impressive yeah um, and i think the cartoon or sorry the more blocky look actually lets you appreciate the building building architecture uh which i think sometimes in aoe2 is a little harder to do until yeah. we all zoom out till <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're I, playing until we all zoom out like super far away <laughs> yeah i i'm and i agree i think so when i talked about the blockiness near, near the beginning of, of the show um on units i'm not i'm not a fan of how it looks mm, but so i think yeah, I think buildings, I mean, the buildings look fantastic. I think what I'm most excited about for age four is the like city planning, building up, building walls, 
Can you actually hold on to that thought? Yes. I, I kind of want to do a segment at the very end where we talk about that. Okay, uh, that sounds good. Building walls, building planning, and people actually being on walls. Uh, yes. <laughs> I Yeah. Uh, good change. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll hang on to that thought. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, happy to, to talk about that at the end. Uh, I'm a complete agreement with you. I'm I'm very excited. Uh, the more and more I look at the Civ, the more and, and you know both both the Civs that are announced, I do like that. I feel like okay, I'm actually gonna have to learn a couple different things. I'm not just gonna be you know, mindlessly learning the same one. Although from a learning perspective, yeah. easier to learn if everything's the same, but it's also more boring. So uh, there you have it. I, I'm excited with AOEs for diversity. Yeah. Um, we're not gonna talk about the English or the Mongols. Uh, I think we can maybe do that in a future episode. Sure, no, no worries. Uh, uh, I think that might be a thing we do. But let, yeah, let's look into the other one that's been. Unless, unless you have some maybe final thoughts on Delhi uh, Sultanate before I move on to the Chinese civilization. Um, maybe one last thing I'll say. You mentioned gold in Age of Empires mm-hmm. two and how important it is. I mean, we've seen some. Uh, I think for Chinese and English, I believe, um, they have alternate ways of gathering gold uh that doesn't involve mining it um so like there's a i think yeah i think it's a chinese it's some kind of official that walks around your town and he collects gold from different buildings and then uh i also read that british uh or english farms generate gold so um there are uh, it sounds like there are ways of getting gold in the late game um and you know that makes me think that maybe gold will be just as important uh, in Age of Empires 4 as it is in 2. Uh, that's all I'll, I'll say about that. But yeah, Delhi Sultanate looks absolutely fantastic. I love war elephants. I play, uh, I like to play Indians in Age of Empires 3. Uh, they have like six different elephant units. I love elephants. It's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm reminded that of that scene from Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. The elephant. Um, okay. Uh, now let's move on to the Chinese civilization. Uh, I'm just going to read a quick snippet because I actually found this great resource for all the civs that they've announced, uh, which I'll probably also link in the show notes. Um, the Chinese is uh, a civilization of impressive constructions, gunpowder strength, and a dynasty system that provides unique benefits and various strategies to overcome the opponent. They are powerful defenders behind formidable fortifications with a strong focus on economy. So there you go. Maybe that's a nice little intro. Um, but the gunpowder unit seems to be what this civ will be focused on, which I'm actually really excited for because that yep. seems already a big departure, uh, which makes sense because they invented gunpowder yeah. um, a lot earlier than anywhere else. Um uh and it looks like yeah depending on kind of which dynasty you're in you'll have different like strengths with it so that's pretty cool or wait uh interesting so i wonder i wonder if like literally depending on which dynasty so you can cut i wonder if it's going to be like you can kind of choose the dynasty in the early part of the game and and then choose it like switch it later on as it goes on or if there's going to be like three different kind of mini civs it kind of looks like i feel like you choose it and it's like a thing you can change as you're going and then it'll give you different bonuses depending on your change of dynasty yeah so that's something i actually it's a big question mark in my mind actually okay hold on hold on it could just be ages (laughs) 
Like, it, I mean, yeah, it, it could it could be. <laughs> it could make actual historical sense. I wonder. Let me. Let me anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know too much about it. There's still a lot of uh, questions about that. But yeah, I remember seeing the or reading about the the dynasties, and I think they in that same uh, on that same page. I think you're reading from further down. It it talks about. Uh, gives examples of i think four different dynasties so i will say i will confirm that the four different dynasties at least from what i'm seeing right now uh historically um it seems like they all follow each other so the first dynasty is is uh from 680 to oh sorry I'm just going to say the centuries because I don't remember the numbers right now, but like the seventh century to the ninth or 10th century. Okay. And the Song Dynasty uh, happens after that. And then, so these are all, hist- at least historically, it's actually a timeline of events. So okay. I wonder if these are just, huh, that's interesting. I wonder if they're going to erase the idea of aging up. Maybe that's not the case. Or maybe they'll just use different, unique names depending on which civilization you're a part of. Yeah, so okay. Um, all guessing, all guessing. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of guesses here, but I think there are a few clues that we've seen. <clears throat> so we do know, um, or it sounds like it, um, that we're gonna have ages, four ages, the same ones as in age four: the Dark Age, Feudal, Castle, and Imperial Age. That sounds like it's universal. Um. And I like that. That'll be familiar to any Age of Empires 2 player. Um, and the dynasties sound like they're a unique feature of the Chinese civilization. Mm-hmm. So I think it will have something to do with aging up. It'll be somehow related. It could be something like the politicians uh, system that age of empires 3 has so whenever you age you up mm. yeah whenever you age up in age of empires 3 you can choose <laughs> one of several politicians and it gives you some kind of bonus or a shipment i don't like that well don't i don't like mind mo- okay let, let me put it this way there is something weird about aging up and then having to like click a banner and i suppose if i played aoe 3 long enough i wouldn't really care i would just know exactly who to choose every time right um uh maybe it's my like years of playing card games but i look at like <laughs> when you're giving me like four options i'm like now weighing my choices for the next five minutes maybe that maybe that's a me thing more than anything um but there is something weird about a giant pop-up just appearing on your screen as you're playing the game which i don't like if that makes sense yeah, and that's a fair point. I don't like the pop-up either. Um, that could have maybe been done a little more elegantly. Um, but I will say that the politician system, and Age of Mythology did this too, where you have minor gods that you can mm-hmm. select uh, that give you some kind of bonus or unlock some kind of unit or or give you some kind of shipment in the case, case of uh, Age 3. Uh, I do like that. I think it can be implemented a little more elegantly. Uh, I think it gives you choices. It increases the replayability because, you know, you're not always necessarily picking the same uh, politician or, or same god, as it were, minor god in, in, the, in the case of Age of Mythology. Um, you know, of course, if everything's balanced correctly, if if every politician 
every option has some kind of appeal, then it's good to have choices. But, you know, on the flip side, you also don't want to overwhelm your player with with choices. This is especially true for new players who are sort of spend the next, like you said, five minutes reading what everyone does and sort of deciding. Um, uh, I I like it. I like that. Uh, I, but I also like that it's not universal. It sounds like it's just mm. a Chinese thing. So uh, I don't know. It should should be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see what that looks like. For sure. For sure uh overall artwork art style i also think it's great uh i have no qualms about that absolutely okay any any last things here on the on what you've seen in the chinese civilization and then we'll get into buildings and and all that stuff in a second sure um i i really dig the uh the nest of bees that they previewed it's like this sort of box on wheels and it's got like hundreds of arrows in it and you know, they just light it from the back and it just sprays arrows into into the enemy. I totally dig that. I think that's that's it's very flavorful. It's very cool. Um, you know that you have you also have riders with explosive lances. Um, so as they charge, they they make contact with their enemy and then there's like an explosion going off. That's all really really awesome stuff. And and uh, I also like to see that. Um, even though the the civilizations might be um they might be the same like we have chinese in in age of empires 2 and chinese in age of empires 4 but their play styles aren't necessarily the same um, i'm really hoping that all the civilizations there's no crossover right um because yeah. i think one thing that's going to lend i don't need a million units i just need the five or let's just say there's 10 units per civ okay because I honestly don't think yeah. you need like a million units. Like it could be like 10 units per sieve. Yeah, I just I need them plenty. to be un- unique units, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I Yeah, I think um I agree. I don't want to see overlap, but I suspect we will have one or two sieves. Um French and English for instance. Yeah, French <laughs> French and English for example, who are going to be very familiar to players who've played age of empires 2 and they are going to be civilizations that are maybe more traditional rts easier uh, to mm-hmm. get your wrap your mind around them and a, a sieve that a newer player can pick up and learn the game with something maybe a little easier <laughs> a little more intuitive you know like you know you have sort of archers and swordsmen and pikemen and, and knights and it's all very if you've played or if you know anything about middle ages you kind of know what those things do and it's sort of easy or maybe intuitive for a new player to pick up Uh, so i think there will be a couple of civs maybe one or two civs that are going to be they're gonna have overlap um but i think that's you know i I imagine if that happens that's just like a a marketing marketing tool or or a tool for, for getting newer players into the game well, I, I wouldn't something... even mind if they had like archetypes, right? Like if they had like yeah. five or six archetypes and then yeah. there's just like sieves that are under this archetype. So they have pretty like very similar play styles um, and they're kind of thrown in together. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I guess, is, is a nice way of putting it. Yeah. And I think, you know, European civilizations, like, you know, if you have, uh, you know, Germans or, or Holy Roman Empire, uh, 
uh, French and, and English, you know, their play styles, you know, probably wouldn't be all that different, right? It's all very kind of Western Europe, very sort of traditional what you're used to seeing from a, from a medieval game in terms of units and, and uh, economy and stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think less is more in this situation. Uh, releasing a new game, I don't actually think they need like a million sips. I agree. I, I think, especially for new players, the less sips, the better. Um, yeah. I okay. Agree. I think I think we can uh, probably move on from there. Uh, so let's get into probably what I thought was some of the coolest, at least looking stuff, is that it seems like you can actually put people on your walls now. So that's great. Yes, I love uh, that. And the, it seems like I don't know if they're going to automate, if not automate, make the make the kind of like creating your your base town seem a lot easier, I feel. Or maybe it's just pretty pictures that they're showing us. And then in reality, when this like we're actually playing the game, it's just a mess. <laughs> the wa- what, what, what do you mean by that? Um, so. Like from all the pictures that I've seen of all the civilizations and stuff, it seems like all the walls are very nicely kind of surrounding the the area, and it seems like they have laid out where certain structures are. And what it makes me think mm-hmm. of okay. is automated structure building. Um, so what I mean by that, and this could be a, a, a type of thing that, I mean, I'm I'm completely going off, you know, guessing here, right? Um, but there's like games. I play a couple different RTS games where the idea is okay, we don't want people like worrying about like when, where to build buildings. There'll just be a central place where when you have enough resources, you can have the building start like building by itself somewhere in your town, right? And there's a limited spots around in your town or something. And if you want to expand, then then you can like create another base. I wonder if there's something like that or if it's completely AOE too and I'm just, you know, making up things here. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Um, I don't know if you've ever played uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings: Battle for Middle Earth one. One, I did not play one. I played two. Okay, um, so in one, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, um, but uh, you basically—it's sort of the way you describe it, where you start with you have a base, it has a central structure, building, like a, yeah. Yeah, like a keep or, or, or a tower or whatever. Sometimes it has walls and those walls are already in place. And then you have building sites. You click the building site and then you have like a menu that pops up. You click one of the buildings. The building is built at that site. I think um, I think that's what this is. That's my guess. You think so? That would well, be I don't a know if you think though. So. I'm just guessing. That, I think that would be a big departure from Age of Empires uh, or the, the series, Age of Empires, all, all the I, games. It just we've seen walls in all these civs, right? Except like, Mongols, I think Mongols don't get walls. But yeah, you know we, what I mean. Like walls it, in the... it feels like they're trying to go for something that's like the base setup is not. I mean, and this is something that we can we can definitely talk about. But I I, I feel like they're going for. I think it'll be even simpler. Like it might or. Maybe if it's not simpler, there might be an option for an automated system where you just have your main center and your main center is like a worker. You know, you know how when like now we have a worker, we have our queue. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, I'm just speculating, right? Uh, but um, like maybe you have that main place and all it is from there you have, okay, queue these buildings and then they build on whatever is available land within your thing. 
and it automatically okay. organizes for you. And if it isn't that, that's fine. If it's just standard AOE to fair, I think that's entirely possible. Or maybe there's just designated spots for buildings around your your walls, right? That might just be a generic part of the game where everyone mm-hmm. starts with walls, um, which might be an interesting thing in itself. Or uh, anyway, uh, if it is, I think it's a good feature for new players. If it isn't, um, then yeah, we're just standard standard rts stuff so uh i'm not yeah. too surprised either way i mean i th- i would to be honest i would be surprised if they went that route that would be a huge departure um and uh i wouldn't like that if i if i'm gonna be honest i i think i i really like seeing um i really like the sort of base design part of of rts's um like i sometimes find myself <laughs> you know playing the game and i'm just managing my economy and i'm i'm building a base that sort of looks nice you know it's sort of <laughs> appealing to look at and then i realize you know i'm like you know i'm like well into the feudal age for example and i have like no units and i'm like you know if i get attacked now the it's over the game is over and then i'm actually <laughs> you know i actually start to like <laughs> build military buildings and and you know, there have been plenty of games where I've just lost because my opponent just attacked me early, and 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 I love uh, I love just sort of building my my SimCity base, right? I you know I've been playing Age of Empires two for a long time, but I never claimed I'm <laughs> I'm I'm very good at the game. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think automated or preset building locations um, I, that would be disappointing to me. If I'm going to be honest, I I wouldn't like to see that. So what I wonder then is, did they, like, is this a game where when you set something up and there's other buildings near it, it makes pathways naturally? Because that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, and I remember seeing that there are pathways, there are sometimes little, like, shrubs and bushes, and it just looks really nice. Um, I think, I mean, my guess and my hope is that that's just these paths are things that sort of appear that the game they just had i can see that i can see that building the base if if they did do that that is some uh qual uh attention to detail yeah you know what i mean like that's some polish if if it's uh nicely fitting in with the rest of the environment as you build it yeah 100 percent um but you do bring up a good point um, that the buildings are very, it's all very sort of grid-like. The the towns that they show in, in the videos are very nicely put together, very nicely designed. If, if, if uh, the game makes it easier for players to design their base looking like that um, without doing it for them, without doing it automatically... And or for example, making your walls straight and at right angles, mm-hmm. um, make make that kind of base design easy for you to do as a player. I would be all over that. I'm a hundred percent on board. As long as they don't just like be like, okay, this is what. You're as long, yeah. Do. As long as you know, I have a choice. As, as long yeah. as I, you know, I can actually design my base. Um, but yeah, if it makes it easier and if it if it really does generate things like paths and, and cobblestone between buildings that's that's fantastic and, and I, I love that i have to say after talking to you i'm more interested in uh 
and what the future will bring. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, is there any like? Okay. So how about when we saw guards actually on the walls? I thought that was pretty cool because that yeah. is way more realistic. Because one, I feel like when someone goes into a building, you still should be able to like attack them. <laughs> Yeah. Does that make sense, right? Like, like sometimes, sometimes in AoE 2, it's like, yeah, they went into a castle and and not that you have a high chance, but like you should be able to at least kind of sh- try to shoot at them, right? With reduced uh, accuracy or, or reduced like damage or something. Yeah. So I kind of like that I've seen, you actually see guards on the walls and stuff. I think that's a really nice aesthetic touch, whether it's just, whether it works like, uh, what was it, Company of Heroes or works like uh, AoE 2, do, uh, did then uh yeah i don't know but uh it's i like what how it looks like visually i don't know if you have any take on that because yeah once again l- little information lots of speculation <laughs> yeah exactly i i totally agree i love the fact that the walls are actually wide um and you know there, there are sort of towers on the corners of of the walls and i don't know if that's something that's generated automatically when you build that that wall at a right angle or if it's a thing a feature that you have to add and and pay for and your villagers build it um i love the fact that you can get units up there archers the siege towers looked fantastic there's a short uh, preview of uh, what a siege tower looks like it brings like infantry units i think swordsmen <laughs> yeah onto the siege the wall. tower actually makes sense <laughs> yeah exactly i mean well, the siege here's tower the in age here's... of empires it was like the biggest it's like the biggest flop ever <laughs> the worst like design Here... Here's the thing, if you can get units onto the wall and like I want there to be a feature that if you control the main gate, you can actually then open it. Yeah. Cause that makes the most sense for siege now- towers and fighting like you can fight in front of the gate if you want, obviously, if you're the you, people inside the tower. You can defend from above. If you're on the wall, you can have like an advantage, some kind of like uh you know, plus minus for arrows or, or fighting. Mm-hmm. But if you manage you don't just have to take down towers, you can act instead of taking down walls and towers every time you can actually go climb up on it. And if you have more units, right. Cause this happens a lot where you have yeah. more units, but you might not have the siege weapons. You can actually fight, take control of the main tower and then go in. That'd be really cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, I would love to see that. I think whether it happens. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not, I'm not sort of holding my breath. I don't think they're going to go that far. Uh, I mean, we saw like Delhi, the Delhi Sultanate uh, preview. We saw those war elephants crashing into the the gatehouse and just just destroying it. Like it just comes apart in in rubble. Um, but it's you know, I we can certainly dream. I would love to see that. I think it would add a lot of um, you know strategic options as an attacker if you're sort of sieging this town. Um, you know, you can either try to break through the wall. Or you can do something a little less sort of conventional, something more interesting where you you get soldiers up there, you defeat, you know, the defenders on the walls, you capture the gatehouse, you open the gate and you can get in that way. Um, Again, you know, I'm not holding my breath, but that would be really cool to see. Uh, Also, one more thing I'll I'll add. I don't remember seeing any stairs on the inside of the wall. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what that's going to look like. I, I, sus- I think you're going to teleport. <laughs> yeah, I suspect it's going to be some kind of teleportation 
Or what I would like to see, and what again, what I'm sort of crossing my fingers for is, you know, like we have those towers, those bastions on the corners. You know, if there's a, a doorway or a gate at the foot of those bastions, your units sort of go in, they climb so up the tower, you and still then they click come the out main gate. The you still click the main gate, but they have to run to the tower to get to there. That would, I think that would be fair. Yeah, cool. I, that, that would look cool. And again, that comes back to what I said earlier about sort of immersion. I don't like sort of teleporting stuff. I mean, you know, I get why they do it, but, I, you know, I would just like to see that sort of defenders, well, you know. That makes sense. It's like if you have if you have your units in the right gate at the right time, then you'll have that defender's advantage. But yeah. if you if you haven't already positioned them, then maybe someone rolls up with a with a siege tower and walks. Yeah, if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're caught by surprise and like your soldiers, your troops take forever to get onto the wall, like you know, that's that's also a, an interesting. Um, it's you a very know, realistic thing. I don't know whether yeah. it's it's a fun factor or or if it makes sense within the the scope of the game. But yeah. I mean, yeah, um, <laughs> that's a fair point. I mean, that that would kind of suck, you know. You're sort of doing your own thing, and then suddenly there are enemies on your wall, and and you didn't even notice, you know. Well, enemies on your wall is it's stuff we made up this episode, so <laughs> yeah. it could just be that you can't defend your gate with with a with a bonus. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're we're really sort of speculating and and kind of spitballing here, but uh, yeah, these are things that I would like to, I would like to see, and you know, in the coming months, I'm I'm definitely keeping an eye out and, um, you know, super excited to to see what uh, what's in store. There's still four sieves that they haven't revealed, um, so you know, there's there's a lot to look forward to. I want them to only reveal like max one or two sieves a year. I think if there's any more than that, uh, I I honestly I I would have been fine with six sieves. <laughs> like, yeah, there's part of me that feels like uh, maybe just because I you know I care for the new players, um, but uh, it's it's that feeling of like when I got back to AOE two, it's like just looking at like 30 plus civs you're like how do i even start learning this yeah game? i mean right. yeah age so, of empires um, 2 has gotten really outrageous i mean i'm looking at the you know at the civ selector civ screen and i'm like scratching my head like it's it's too much i think at this point uh, you know i'm all for variety and stuff but i think age of empires 2 went a little bit overboard so i well, like and i and i think i think um the it's have a good idea and implement it as opposed to just content. Um, and it's That's a lot more too. rewarding. I think so. Uh, okay. I think we should probably start wrapping up the show. Yeah. Uh, sounds good. I, th- I think we uh, went longer than I imagined. I'm very happy. I, 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 I thought this was a possibility, but you never know, especially if, if uh, you know, Matt, is this the first you know podcast thing you've been on? Uh, yeah, this is uh this is a first for me. Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. We've, uh, We've crossed that barrier, and you also went over awesome. an hour on the first one, so uh, that's already a big accomplishment. Well, I, you know, you say... can, you know, when it comes to topics that that I like, you can, you know, I could sit here and talk for hours and hours. So it's a good thing you you cut me off. <laughs> yeah, no worries. And and like I said, I think uh, I'm. Well, we'll kind of see what the what the future of the show holds, but uh, if uh, as long as we can, for me, it's important to make sure we have some kind of regular schedule. So if we can set up some kind of regular schedule. Uh, we may see Matt sooner rather than later, but uh, 
who knows life is also a thing so uh, absolutely <laughs> Uh, that's that's I'm sure something we'll discuss, uh, you know, in the meantime. But I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Um, uh, maybe a little later than we would have hoped to release an episode, uh, given the fan preview was a while ago. Um, but, uh, you know, li- life is what it is. So uh, here we are. And uh, we hope that you at least enjoyed this. Uh, and for myself and for Matt, uh, I hope all of you have a good one. And we'll see you whenever we see it. So uh, bye bye. Bye, guys.